Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday Celebration from the Center for Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. Many blessings to you. So the bell rings, and it takes us into the sacred moment. All we ever have is the moment. And Thich Nhat Hanh reminds us, if you fail to experience the moment, you fail to live your life. So the breath becomes conscious. And our attention, the most precious thing we have, is resting in a peace that passes all understanding. It's the peace that is always there waiting for us. Even when things all around us may seem chaotic, we can just touch our heart, take a conscious breath, and affirm, I have arrived, I am home. It's a home that is always already there, always. And so God doesn't go anywhere, spirit doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes our attention gets distracted by the circumference of life. But through this simple act of ringing a bell, we bring our attention back to that still small voice. To an abiding love. A love that doesn't go anywhere. And so we are becoming conscious co-creators with the universe. When Karen Drucker can say, I see the beauty in you, I see the power in you. It's the beauty within that sees the beauty without. It is the power within that sees the power without. So could we affirm those beautiful words for ourselves? I mean, that wheresoever we look, we see the face of God, the beauty of God, the love of God the power of God. And it's all a reflection of our own self, of the one self. So we make a commitment this Sunday morning. We make a commitment to fall in love with ourself, just the way we are. Mr. Eckhart says this is the hardest thing we will ever do, to love ourselves right where we are, not someday when we get what we think we want to manifest in the world. No, right now. You can hmm, smile. And you know when you know that you're there is when you see it everywhere and everybody else. And you love, the, you love the seeming other just the way they are. You hear that Frank Sinatra song, Don't Change a Hair for Me. 
not if you care for me. Stay, little Valentine, stay. And so we get to fall in life, in love with life, right where it is, and see the beauty, the power, the grace unfolding, one breath at a time. It says in the Quran, am I not your Lord? To which we, the creation, say, yes, we witness you. So this Sunday, we witness the one everywhere we go. And we trust in this unfoldment to be custom designed for us by the universe. And so it is. And you can say, and so it is. That's for a gardener. That's when you put the soil over the seeds and you trust that something is going to potentially grow in consciousness. So could we sow empowering thoughts, loving thoughts? Um, I pulled out my science of my magazine. It's, it's a font of beautiful inspiration. But I, I was pulled by one little quote of Thich Nhat Hanh. And this is for Seth, my beloved. Thich Nhat Hanh says, we know how to sacrifice 10 years for a diploma and we are willing to work very hard to get a job that we think we want, to a house that we've always coveted, and so on. But we have difficulty remembering that we are alive in this present moment. It's all we have. And the only moment there is for us to be alive in the moment. It was so beautiful going on the picnic yesterday, and I was privileged to have Seth and Pepper, the two youngest members of the congregation there, and I was wheeling the, the stroller with the blind and deaf pug, and I finally came to a, an impasse where I had to go up across this terrain to get to the picnic table. And I asked Seth, do you want to push the, the stroller across this? And that young man just picked that stroller up in his arms, and he pranced across the land and placed it down in the middle of the thing. And I thought, you know, that's what a 15, 16, 17-year-old can do that a 70, almost 5 person can't do. And it was so sweet to have that moment, and I said, I'll always see him carrying the pug in his arms over there. That's the moment that I'll remember. So are those little moments, and then when I saw Pepper there coming in with Anastasia, smiling at me, I also saw Orlando and um, his beautiful wife, and he's, he's compromised, and he's very fragile, and they're grieving the loss of their dog, Rowdy. And I, I said, Pepper, you've got a job to do. And Pepper and I went over, because Anastasia was filling up her plate, Pepper went right over to Orlando, and he says, what's this? I said, she's the welcoming committee. And you could see the two of them saw their dog coming to greet them because it's dog. And dog spelled backwards is God. And so I said, Pepper, you've got a job here. I know this is my job, but it's your job too. So thank you for loaning me to her or her to me so she could do. And, you know, I, I reflected on baby Speck when she would come to the center. She would work the room. She would work from person to person to person because she tuned into the emotional body. So when you talk about spiritual family, Mary, I think the four-leggeds are included. And uh, you know, it's so lovely to see Paula back here. You know, She came here with her beautiful husband, Chris, almost 30 years, and I wasn't so much his cup of tea, but she kept coming back and brought her little girl. And it's so nice to know that you don't have to get the whole fan family. You can get part of the family, and, and that's perfectly fine. And we are a spiritual family. And to know that is really very sacred for me. Because we can love each other where we are. We don't have to become a certain version of ourselves in order to be acceptable. At least that's what I believe. That we're, we, we, we celebrate the, the diversity and the uniqueness of the human spirit endlessly anew, repeating itself in ways that are kind of magical. So thank you, Thich Nhat Hanh, for reminding us to, 
to stop and, and be who we are. I'm talking today about awakened doing. And this theme for this month is a whole new world. And, and the, the, the challenge is for us to see a new world built on ideas and intentions. In the class we're teaching, they say it's all about the intention. So what seed of, of a new world are you planting in the soil of your consciousness? We know what the old world looks like. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of chaos on the planet. But as I shared with you last week, out of this chaos comes a new order. So could we embrace the chaos and trust the chaos, Jean Ann, because the chaos is taking us to a new ordering of the way life is supposed to be. So many of us are afraid to step into that new version of ourselves. I have a little bit of a hoarse throat. Elle's going to come up and bring me a, a lozenge. I just know how. See, this is how we take care of each other. Thank you. I see the lozenge in you. I see the So it Thank you for that. I started getting a raspy voice yesterday at the picnic. And Gigi came up, and me, came up to me and she says, get some hot bourbon with some honey. Well, I don't have any bourbon at home and I don't have any honey at home. So I just had to put my hard hand over my throat and speak sweetly to it. And it's still there. So could I make peace with it? That's a big part of this class on aging, the grace and aging. It's not about... Um, staying middle-aged the rest of your life. There's a certain grace in getting older. You know, I want, when Anastasia came with Pepper, who's, what, five now? Four. But the old dog at home is 12. And there's something about when you have an older animal or an older human that there's there's a, a care, there's a, a sensitivity. You know, as a gardener, I used to go up and down and up and down a weed. Now I have to position myself before I get to the ground and then make sure I have a way to get up because my knees don't work like they used to work when they were 20 and 30 and 40. And, and there's a sense of um, gratitude. My, my sister was, came down from Maine and she went, she picked up the pug and she threw him thinking he would go running. Well, she threw him and he collapsed. I said, you have to position the pug. You pick him up and then you have to make sure that his legs are in place. And when you feel they're in place, then you play. Sometimes he falls over, but he never complains. And then you pick him back up and you hope that he can just get to that position where he can scoot those back legs in and not fall over as he's doing his number two. And you know, I just, he's, he's such a teacher for me because he's showing me how to be gentle with himself in his dotage, in his dotage. And so he was there at the picnic yesterday being all Zen pug that he was. And I was so grateful. So yeah, let me give you a little taste of this grace and aging. It's it's a it's a class that um, it, it, it's one of those classes that kind of slaps you, and that's good. If if you're too comfortable, it's not good to be too comfortable. You want someone that pushes your edge. And she talks about moving out of the local self, that's always in control and reaction, and complaining, into this self that can embrace life on life's terms and respond to the challenges instead of react. So let me give a taste of her. She says, when the self is no longer so congestively present, (coughs) (coughs) when the local self is no longer congestively present, when selfing, that's the little me, the widow me, when selfing fears of seeing what lies beyond the horizon of its own paradigm are no longer so obstructive, we're not fear-mongering our mind, then something is possible. Then this original sense of curiosity can awaken. 
How might this too be good? How might this too be for me? So could I be willing to court that divine curiosity? She said, curiosity is a mind that controls nothing. A mind that controls nothing. So then you see life as a glorious adventure. Anastasia and I were talking about Seth's journey in, into college, and it flashed back on when I graduated from high school, and people wanted me to pick a major in a college, and I just wanted to play and have fun and set my soul free. And I joined a dance company, and I started acting in plays and all the things I wasn't supposed to do. Um, curiosity is a mind that controls nothing. It is a mind without prejudice or expectation. It is a mind that's undefended by conception and agendas. Don't you love a mind that's free? Little Maddie now, she, her, the last time I saw her, her soul is so free. I don't have a clue what she's doing, but she's happy. And I think she's happy too. It becomes absorbed in and fascinated by the ever novel and endless display of our ground of being. We get curious about this ground of being that's alive within us that doesn't want to be controlled and predicted and expected. It wants to be free and playful. When you were playing that music and I saw Sylvia going skipping down the aisle, that was her little girl dancing. She wasn't trying to be the appropriate practitioner who wears a little pious hat. No, she was skipping down the aisle because something was awakened in her. So deeply curious, we enter absorption, concentrating on the vastness of the universe. We let, you know, Rumi used the metaphor, oh, drop, oh, drop, give it up. To be wooed by the ocean, an ocean for the drop. So the invitation is for us to know our divine nature in this seemingly separate wave-like existence of the me person. That the complete absorption into the vastness, deepening our sense of awe and wonder. Whoa, is this too much for you, Miss Susan, back there? To step into awe and wonder? Hmm. The experience here is so absorbing that merging with the point of concentration, awareness rushes into another world, mushrooming out into vastness itself, free of all self-reference of me and any localized sense. You set yourself from the me person. You know, they say in that story of Gaia, you move from the me to the we to the all. It's all you. So this is the domain of the subtle lucidity. That means clarity and radiance beyond the self. There's clarity and a sense of radiance beyond the local self. It can, can be kind of scary because we spend so much of our lives tending this local self, this version that we're putting on the mask that we present to the world. That's the illusion that we get to let go of, just for a brief time. This is the domain of subtle lucidity and radiance beyond this local self. This vastness is so increased that the self itself doesn't even appear as a distant horizon. Awareness floats in a sea of tranquility and radiance and alive and filled with every quality of grace itself. Well, then it's kind of a daunting little thing to contemplate, isn't it, Susan? You are the radiance and the lucidity of the presence itself. My friend Tom Flack was here and he showed me a YouTube video of Ram Das at the very end of his life. And Ram Das said, you know, we meditate to quiet the mind and to identify with our true nature. And so he said, let me share with you how I do it at my ripe old age of what he was at the end. He said, I say one little affirmation and that affirmation is, I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. I am loving awareness. 
And he says, when you know yourself as loving awareness, well, then all these nattering nabobs of negativity that come up in the head, that's not you. That's that little local self that's confused and wants control and has expectations and judgments. And, but you've just affirmed, I am loving awareness. And today I'm speaking about um, awakened doing. Could we be an awakened being doing loving awareness in an awakened sort of way? Well, it sounds really abstract, doesn't it, Miss Mary? Well, maybe that's the idea. There's no control, no thoughts, no script. It's just loving awareness, doing what loving awareness does. And if you don't know how to do that, go visit uh, Pepper. She'll show you how to do loving awareness. So, odd and innocent curiosity then deepens in a meditative state, and we embody increased wisdom and compassion as we arise from the meditation, no longer fighting our thought patterns, but affirming our true nature as loving awareness. They are the fruits of the insight of clear seeing. In this book, she says, it's important to look, but it's more important to see. It's important to listen, but it's equally as important to hear what isn't being said, what is being alluded to, what is waking up within you. Could we use our life as the Petri dish for transformation? It's no longer transactional relationships now. We're having transformational relationships. Lastly, these are the five gifts that she promises, this practice of grace gives. Intention, attention, ease, joy, curiosity. The five gifts of spirit. Intention. It's very important that you get clear and what your intention is. Is it to grow, to evolve, to love, to serve? Attention, the most valuable thing we have. What are you putting your attention on? Are you putting it on the problem? Then the problem gets bigger. Are you putting your attention on your judgments? Well, then they'll grow. But are you putting your attention on the peace, the freedom, the love, the joy, the ease? The third one, ease. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were struggling with their life. Oh, I think it was Anastasia, we were walking. And I said, you know, I've lived on one simple premise is to let life be easy. I can let it be complicated, I can let it be stressful, and I used to do that. I was a perfectionist, and I made life really hard for myself. I would write like five talks for every one that I would give. Now I trust that spirit knows how to do it, even if my voice doesn't. So could I let it be easy? You know, if you let relationships be easy, they're easy, they're not difficult. And when someone says to me, it's so hard, it's so hard, I say, well, it's hard for you. But what if you let go of that narrative that it's so hard, and you started having fun with it? Was it hard having Herman as your pet? No. See, he says no. The fourth gift is a natural joy. You know, joy is different than happiness. Happiness is oftentimes conditional. I'll happy if you bring me a pumpkin pie at the picnic. But joy is a natural state of being with or without the pumpkin pie. You know, so could we know that that's one of the gifts of this emerging shift in consciousness to grace? And the last one is curiosity. There's always room for growth. And her last little sentence is, we line them up as a child would line up their presents. These are our presents. And when we fully begin using these gifts wisely, we, old as we are, end up with a fresh, new, immaculate wonder of a child. Then you embrace that wonder child that was always there. And then you hear Jesus. You must be like a child if you would enter the kingdom of heaven. What is a child? A child is joyful. A child is curious. A child is playful. A child is um, all those qualities trusting. So this is an invitation for all of us to hmm, say, what am I committed to? What is my intention? Did I come here to the Center for Spiritual Living to have a transformation? 
Or did I just want to come and have a piece of pumpkin pie and then go home and keep my narrative of how awful life is? Are you here to let go of the stuff that no longer serves you? There's a wonderful Karen Drucker song that says, I am letting go of the things that no longer serve me as I'm letting go. I am free. I am made whole. Now, could we set an intention to let go of the things that no longer serve us, serve us, and then find we didn't need them all along? We didn't need to be the victim of somebody's narrative. You know? And then we get to put our attention on that child of wonder that was there all along. Anybody have a relationship from hell that they evolved out of? But it was a loving relationship. Well, I was the only one. And yet, but the good thing was is that I can look back on that relationship with so much gratitude because at the time I thought that this was what I was destined to struggle with. And when it, when it set me free from it, it, it gave me the greatest gift. Well, then you change the way you look at things. We have a poster in the bookstore and it's, it's prophetic. It says, um, when I let go of the way I see things, the thing, no, what does it say? Um, oh, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. You know, there's too many quotes there. When you change the way you look at things, well, then the things you look at change. And so we get to say, ah, oh, I had the perfect childhood for me. Yes, I did need to be a perfectionist so that I could let go of Mr. Perfectionist. I did need to get lost so that I could find myself. I did need to have a repressive religion. That, that Carl Jung video on uh, the answer to Job is still working on me. And especially that part about we have this male God in the traditional religion, Jehovah. And Jehovah is um, he's an angry kind of a perfectionist. He's always looking up at the sky and, and making demands. And my, my beloved friend David Alt was raised as a young gay man in evangelical church. And he said, my relationship with God at that time was transactional. If I did this, then God would do that. And if I was good, I would get rewarded. And he said, and then when I found Louise Hay, she said, you've got the wrong God. You've got an angry God that disproves of you. She said, find a God of love, a God that's within you. And he said, in a holy instant, I shifted out of looking at things from that angry God who I could never please to this loving presence that was always there. One radical shift is all it took. He stepped out of one way of looking at things. So what if we could see this life that we've been given as a sacred um, opportunity to grow and evolve? And sometimes we've got to shed and die to old ways of thinking. And you know, you hear the Bible, die daily to be born again in me, daily. So what needs to die today? And then you hear the great message that Jesus was giving and all the great avatars is that we get to go through a transformation. We get to awaken this universal Christ within us that's always there. And he came to point the way 2,000 years ago. So did Krishna. Same thing. Divine love. Spirit incarnated in form, but then spirit incarnates in all form. And when we begin to see it in the various messengers out there, it's because it's awakening within us. We're not the great exception. We're part of this inclusivity of the universal Christ. And so that's kind of the fun playground that we're playing in, is to see God in everything. To do that, I went back to an evolutionary throw forward. Barbara Marks Hubbard, this beautiful woman that I've known for many years. She's no longer on the planet. But she talks about the necessity for us to evolve into the homo universalis, to the universal human. And she gives 52 codes, ways that you can manage to do that. And each one is so delicious. I'm just going to give you a teeny taste about awakened doing. She says, our external action flows from an internal incorporation of the universal self. Our actions need to unfold from the universal self, which is 
inside our essential self. The essential self is the God self within us. There's a big painting outside the doors of the sanctuary that says the essential self. Before we would teach a ministerial class, the students uh, did this long class called Living the Essential Self, where you get to find your true nature. You have to find that first. But then she takes it a step further. The essential self is filled with the universal self. So then you're not the doer. The awakened presence is doing all the doing. Here's how she describes it. Very simple. From this phase onward in our lives, the activity that most deeply changes the outer world flows directly from an internal incorporation of our universal self. The outer world is going to change because the universal with the big U and the big S is, is the control center. It's not the widow me and you will marry. It's that universal self is using that beautiful body and mind. So he goes on to say, the primary activist is this universal self incarnate within humanity. Can you accept that, Susan? When I say the universal self is incarnate in you? Amen. Uh, the universal self incarnates acting as the person, acting as the dog, acting as the tree, acting as the chipmunk. It's all the universal self. I don't want to get bigger, but I'm just stretching a little for you. Action transforms from a mental organized plan. <laughs> Anybody have one of those mental organized plans? Into change something out there. Oh, from, from moving to changing something out there into allowing this higher mind and soul to come through us in a resonance among groups of people. That's what I felt at the picnic yesterday, that there was this resonating feel of love and everybody was participating and helping and boy, the food was delicious and thank God for the four-leggers to bring it back into balance. This universal self-facilitated process can appear mysterious to so many of us or it can even appear magical. It was so magical to see these old friends come back after 21 years. It's like out of the clear blue, they come waddling down that thing. And it's like, yeah, divine love brings together and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. Judy's been with me since day one. She brought Hank in a little bit later. But anyway, close. <laughs> this universal self-facilitated process can appear mysterious, even magical or miraculous, but actually it's nature itself at the next stage of its manifestation in your life. It's just a divine ordinary. Jesus said, I of myself do nothing. It's this power within that doeth the work. And then he went on to say, what I do, you too shall do and greater. He didn't say I was the only one that got this gift of universal self. No, we all have it. So could we be humble enough, teachable enough, playful and childlike enough to have a direct experience? And one of the sweetest ways is to get a four-legged or a two-legged Oh, two-leggeds are harder. Four-legged, you know. <laughs> I saw the magic that Pepper did with Orlando yesterday just by going up to him and saying, I see you, or maybe I smell you, because, you know, dogs have those wonderful olfactory things. And, and there was a connection there. Was it soul to soul? I don't know, but I knew that it was a healing connection. Was it cerebral and mental and uh, some mental equivalent how it should look in the future? No, it was just love meeting love with a wag of a tail and a smile from the heart. And then Rowdy was there, because you know they don't leave us. They're still here with us. So these, these little four-leggeds are angels. My birthday is coming up uh, two weeks from today. And on my birthday last year, a dear friend of mine gave me this book called The Master Teacher Within. I think she's telling me something. And it's about finding that master teacher within ourselves. 
And isn't that the whole purpose of being here on planet Earth? Is to find this something within us that's sacred, that's eternal, that won't die. And the closer you get to this transition point, the more important it is to really anchor ourselves in this teacher within, this lover within. And the teacher is, according to James Twyman, it's divine love. Now, he comes out of the Franciscan lineage, just like Richard Rohr. And, um, and so St. Francis kind of lives in this kind of vibration. So here's what she says. He says, Our job, the world needs more teachers of God. Teachers of God. The darkness and the fear that seem so pervasive are nothing more than illusions. And as you live in love, embody love, and teach love, you become a beacon of hope in a world that's desperate for truth. So I'm just telling us to be an expression of love, Michael. Is it that simple? The power of the teacher of God is not found in their credentials or in their status or in their achievements. It is found in their willingness to surrender to love itself, which flows through them and all around them. Could we surrender to this truth of our being, which is divine love? Was it that simple, Gene? Well, maybe it is. Well, then, how do you surrender? You know the greatest advice? Surrender happens when you're not there. Well, what does that mean, Michael? Well, when I get out of the way, that which is in control surrenders to that which is out of control, and yet I don't need control anymore because I've freed of that little dictator in my head. The role of this teacher of God is not a burden, but is a blessing to the world. You're all teachers of God because you're God. So could you know that you're a blessing to the world? You have to be humble to say that. It's an opportunity to give and receive the love that is our natural inheritance. God is love. And when we're being loving, we're being godlike. It's, is it that simple, Celia? To just love the blueberries and know that there are enough blueberries for the birds to have a few too? You don't have to chase the birds and shoot them away from the blueberries. You can say, I can share my blueberries. Mm, I'm wondering. It's a chance to help others remember who they truly are and to awaken into their own divinity. I am who I am. You know, to awaken into your own divinity. And in order to do that, you have to stop, go within, feel what's there, and then open and surrender to a love that's always available. And you know how you can access that love? You can just image somebody. Like I can see Maddie right now. The last morning she was sitting on my front porch, just glowing, radiating love toward me. And I can just see that image of her sitting across from me, and I can feel that divine love. Do I need the image? No, but I can conjure it up and then let the image go, and I can still stay with the love. So what if we have that capacity to drink from the love that's always there, even if they're not there in form? When Sylvia walks in here, I see Joe O'Neill. I see that smile. He's always with me. And thank you for bringing him back into my life. He's a little angel over your shoulder, just so you know that. Anyway, the call of the teacher of God is a call to return home. It is a call to remember your oneness with God and to share this remembrance with everyone. All to be a miracle worker, to bring healing and transformation to the world that sorely needs it. And then you know what some people call miracles? Helen Street called ordinaries. When you, when you put love into something, it has a way of healing. Was that a miracle? Yeah. But is it ordinary? Yeah. Herman heals you every time you climb in bed with him. He's unconditional love. You know that. And you have a soul contract with him. So answer this call 
dear teachers of God, he's asking us to answer the call within the soul, that curious, childlike, joy-filled, intentional attention within us that wants to serve itself in the many as the one. And you know, you got to get kind of curious and talk about indigenous people and feel our connection to all of it. So answer the call, dear teachers of God. The work is waiting for you. And here's his last little poem. I'll do this and then we'll do a little something with you. Here's his last little prayer. You are God's teacher, and this you must know. I promise it's true and always is so. This true fact may bring you joy or great fear, depending on your desire to be clear. It could be daunting to say you've got to die to be born again into this power, or it could be exhilarating to say, oh, I just let go of the illusion of me, and I get to step in the goddess of me. The chains that bind your mind in perceptions, illusions that have gained false conceptions, but let it be known, these chains are not real. Well, who put the chains there? It's Mary. The chains aren't real, he says. No weight or power, they only conceal. So these chains that bind us aren't real. Could we let the shackles go and step away from the order that is imprisoning us in some kind of identity that's uncomfortable? A whole mind with a capital W is one freed of such shackles. To unshackle yourself from your thoughts, your concerns, your judgments, your fears. The whole mind is freed of such shackles, lifting instead to great tabernacles. Whoa, that's kind of a nice rhyming word for shackles, isn't it, Sylvia? Tabernacle, from shackles to tabernacles. God's curriculum is love, with a capital L. You will see. Ego's alternative never shall be, which is fear. A choice that brings despair and misery, a facade built up in false reality. We don't want any more of that anymore. Yet, you are a teacher of God, no less. That's with a capital T and a capital G, no less. And teaching love will free you from distress. Teaching love will free you from distress. So could we redefine what love is? Love isn't grasping. Rumi says, what you think of love are but subtle degrees of domination and servitude. He says, but true love comes fully formed like the moonlight in the window. So could we open to something that's always already there, fully formed? We see it reflected in nature. We see it reflected in our loved ones. We see it in the memories of our ancestors. I, I was so appreciative of people sharing about their ancestors that are no longer here on the planet, but yet they're still here in our soul. So could we treasure the memories that have those miraculous little sparks to them, that where the miracle was alive and well, and then be curious enough and set our intention clearly enough to open to more of that, to acknowledge that I really don't have the answers, but there is something within that can reveal this mystery in fresh new ways where we can share and co-create together with a vision pulling us. Barbara Marks Hubbard talked about the, the present future. She said, it's through the law of attraction we're being called and pulled into a, a different order of vibration through our conscious evolution. So could we open to that when 
this center definitely is at the leading edge of this evolution in consciousness. You know, we don't really have a scripture that we talk about. We don't have heaven and hell as destinations. We have this direct experience of a personal connectedness to oneness. Now, how does that look in your life? Is it is it something that you're curious about? Is it something you've set your intention to commit to? To know that you'll always be surrendering. At Paula, you'll be letting go and letting go and letting go until letting go becomes a way of life. And when you let go, what do you do? You let God. And then Fred, not dead, walks down the aisle and says, I'm still here. And then you laugh because this is how this mystery works. Divine love brings together and maintains together. When I see Jean Ann, I see my twin sister. And I, I, I know that's belaboring the point, but she's with me all the time. And she has that sweet smile you haven't. She would always put her hair in a ponytail. And then right after she died, Jean Ann walked into class and her sneakers were untied. And my sister got right up and went over and got on her knees and tied them. That's my twin. And so this is how they show up. They show up to serve. She's still in service. And she's serving me. She acknowledges that I've got this throat thing going on and my back to a little sore. This morning I was meditating. She came into my meditation. And I said, I think she wants me to be with her. And I have to I kind of reframe that. Okay, you can be with me, but I don't necessarily want to go and be over there with you, wherever you are. And I'm sure she's... And you know, um, I had this bag of her ashes. That everybody spread it at the ocean, but we all got a baggie to come home with. And so there's her baggie. And it's sitting on the chair. And I said, so where do you want put, me to put your ashes? I'm asking her in meditation. You want to go under a tree or a pretty bush? And she says, I want to be in all your house plants. I've got maybe 50 of them. So I sprinkle in this house plant. She said, I want to see where all the action is. So she's in all the house plants now. So when you walk into the house, there's her essence, smiling at me from a cactus, smiling at me from a begonia. She's just there. And it's not her. It's just, just to feel that sweet loving presence and um so awakened awakened doing yesterday when we went to the picnic it was you know the timing and the weather it's cold and what do you wear and you make the meal and it's just as we're getting ready to go off alberto comes over to the house this man and he's painting the fence and i thought well i can't leave to go to the picnic because he's painting the fence and i went out to pay him he said no you don't pay me you already paid me one of those kind of people that works for nothing virtually. He's painting the fence. I go in, Trey's screaming. He was making the, the thing for the picnic. And he found a dead rat with by the washing machine in a, in a rat trap or a mouse trap. And, and of course, he's freaking out. And I said, it's just a dead rat. You know, he couldn't handle it. And so I take the broom. He says, don't use that side of the broom. Okay, so I get the broom back behind the washing machine and I get the little rat out. And, and you know, I'm having a little a thing with the rat because he's cute. You know, they're cute. They, every rat has a mama. And... He just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so I had to do my own forgiveness work and carried him out and put him in a little paper bag so he had a nice little place to go and awaken doing. And you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Could we spend this time that we have on planet Earth in mindful service, whether it's to a plant that needs watering, a pug that needs to be picked up and put out. This morning I went downstairs. I got up at five this morning and couldn't sleep. Went downstairs, did my meditation. Trey made me some scrambled eggs, and I'm having this breakfast, getting ready to come in here. All of a sudden, this howling and barking from upstairs. Now, do you finish your scrambled eggs, or do you go and fetch the pug? Trey said, oh, he's going to pee in the bed. I said, no, he's never peed in the bed. Let him have his moment of barking. I can finish these two mouthfuls, and then I'll go up and carry him down. And How you do anything is how you do everything. And so 
I've gotten to the place where it's all sacred, every bit of it. And um, so shall we do um, a song? And then we'll do a little ringing of the bell. And I'll let Susan ring the bell today, because she's right back by the bell. Raul doesn't have to run back there. Oh, and there's a little uh, collection if anybody wants to leave some money. We have a board meeting today after church. And Pam Hurdy has got a workshop that she's going to do on December 9th. It's uh, three Saturdays ahead at the center on Saturday morning from uh, 10 to 11.30. And it's about meditating and dissolving into this peace that we are. And she's got a magical quality about her. So I've signed up. You're more than welcome to come and drink from the well. We started with the bell, and we end with the bell. The mindfulness bell, taking us into the breath, taking us into the sacred moment that is always waiting for our attention. So we affirm that I am loving awareness. I am is the name of God. I am loving awareness. An awakened awareness that is love itself. So we rest in that awareness. And we smile. There's a sense of freedom by not being the controlling one the worried one, the expecting one. When we let go of all those futuristic ideas, we can enter into the sacred now and breathe. Observe what is always already there, waiting for us. A smile to the silence. Because when the silent one takes up residence, There's a sense of wisdom that flows, not with effort, but with ease. Uh, and then we get to affirm, I choose to let life be easy. So as the transformation continues and the disorder and reordering of life continue, I trust in this journey nowhere to now here. I smile the way life gives us these opportunities to grow and evolve, to step out of a mindset into a heart space where we sow seeds of acceptance, seeds of forgiveness, seeds of compassion, seeds of hope. As we continue growing this garden within our heart, we observe how the world reflects our intention. The world is truly a reflection of who we are. And so when we become the fashioning factor of divine love, forgiveness, acceptance, peace, joy, well then, 
natural to see it mirrored in the world. Am I not your Lord? Am I not divine love? Yes, we witness you. We embody you. We serve you. All there is, is you. And I am you. You are me. We are one, as the song goes. And in this unity, we live in harmony. And guess what comes? And peace shall come. For only one reason, and one reason alone. For we are one. One peace, one love, one life, endlessly revealing itself. <coughs> one breath at a time. Amen. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.cslhuntsville.org. To create a brand new life.